Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello, producer Trent here. Welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Today's episode was recorded live online and streamed live online as part of the More Than Words Literary Festival in association with the Curzon Cinema uh, a couple, actually a few weeks ago now. So you may have uh, bought a ticket and watched that online. If you did, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, If you didn't, then you can enjoy the episode today. Our guest is The Room Next Door's Michael Spicer, chatting about uh, coming up with that comedy character and then the subsequent book, The Secret Political Advisor, which is out now. Remember, you can hear an extended edition of this episode and each and every episode by subscribing on Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles. You'll also get access to Tips for Existence and An Uncanny Hour, our Patreon-exclusive podcast series on their current guest on Tips for Existence, uh, which is out tomorrow, is uh, Professor Anil Seth. And then next week, we're talking to A.L. Kennedy. This abridged version of the podcast will always be available free, but if you are listening to it free and you're not uh, subscribing on Patreon, that is obviously perfectly fine. But if you could go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review five stars, that would really help us out as well, as well as, you know, tweeting about it and telling all your friends and, you know, putting up banners outside your house and all that sort of stuff. Let's get on with the episode. Here's Robin and Josie and Michael. Hello, welcome to uh, the More Than Words Festival, uh, a festival uh, celebrating the heavy metal ballads of the band Extreme. Um, it's not, it's not that. Hello, uh, I'm uh, Robin Ince and I normally do a podcast called Book Shambles. I'm currently, uh, I'm actually sat in a hotel. I'm currently in, in Cheltenham doing the uh, Cheltenham Science Festival. So, uh, and, and uh, Michael, who's uh, our guest today, was uncertain because he was thinking, wow, Robin owns a house that has both tea and coffee making facilities and it's <laughs> television on the wall but tragically the my reality doesn't have such things and I'm joined by Josie Long. Hello I'm Josie Long I'm in my flat but I am gonna shock you I have a hundred uh, Biscoff biscuits that I lay out for myself every morning no I don't but if I did it would be very good. The, all you have as far as I remember was one little bit of shortbread and I was very disappointed <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes a tin of biscuits, which are all open, at a B and B, which you don't trust. Have you ever oh, had yeah, that? Yeah, I have. But yeah. I quite like that in a B and B. There's a B and B in Bristol that I've stayed at a few times. That is an incredibly posh person's house in Clifton, and they have a little tiny glass of sherry with a little bit of cling film over it, a little tiny piece of fruit cake with a little cling film over it, and every time I think. I wonder how long this has been here, but I'm going to eat it straight away. No, individuals is fine. It's when there's a collection of biscuits, you you get a sense of rummaging. Whereas that has a very clean sense of cake and a clean sense of sherry, I think. You see, to me, it's... When did we put this? Was it last week? Uh, When when did we refresh the sherries, you think? We're joined by Michael Spicer, who's just been doing such uh, as... Well, we're going to talk about your new book, but before we get... With the first book, I think it is your first book, isn't it? Secret Political Advisor. Yes, yes, it is, yeah. Um, and, uh, but 
let's first of all just to get some because is it two years or is it more than two years that you've you've basically been doing the the character because i remember it, it seemed to to us as viewers the speed in which it appeared to come from nowhere and suddenly be something yeah. that everyone was saying you must watch this how long was it yeah. actually for you it was uh coming up to two years so boris johnson was um running for conservative party uh leadership candidate he was the candidate and um and he was doing the the rounds and so he was taking he was basically um uh doing these these ridiculously long interviews where they would uh, where they would cover absolutely everything and then of course he was asked right at the end what he likes to do in his spare time and he, he just he didn't know because um because he's not a human being and he didn't know how to respond to that in the correct way well also he couldn't say shaggy which is all he well I, I get the feeling that he was really close to like saying the truth and then he kind of held back which is why there's like a, a massive gap where he doesn't say anything except arm and arm so was that the bus one and then, then? was that the one that became yeah the bus? so he said i make i make i make crates i make, I make uh, buses i'm sorry about that i'm making uh, buses from uh, model crates um i still don't know if that's true um it seems like a a, a terribly made up lie on the hoof. Yeah. There was a lot of conspiracy chat about it, wasn't there? Yeah. Because they were like, now when you look up Boris Johnson buses, it doesn't show the lies, it shows I, the bus. I, 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 got, I got that as well. And I thought, in, in what realm do you think Boris Johnson knows a single thing about Google algorithms? Honestly, it's such <laughs> a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is for him. I, I feel with him that he's somebody who everything is at surface level. Absolutely. He's never, ever... He's not a man who's ever finished a non-fiction book. No. He, he's done the introduction. He's been like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. According to quite a few yes, rumours, that includes the ones he's written. Indeed. <laughs> well, to be fair, if I was him, I'd want to disavow myself from him. Yeah, my apparently books, they you know, are. Like, I mean, I have never, never read anything he's written, but I, I you know, they, they always get such terrible reviews because of how, how badly yeah. written. I mean, his, his own speeches are, are, are terribly written. That's another thing I don't really get. Back in the days of, I don't know, Tony Blair, I guess, you used to get polished speeches that were probably not written mm. by him at all. And now Boris Johnson was was sent to the UN and, and was, you know, making no sense at all about artificial intelligence, which he had no clue about anyway. Yeah. I, I can't believe that an advisor didn't get in there somewhere, somewhere and say, well, no, you, you can't say that because you're just going to be a laughing stock. So I don't know. It, 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 he, he baffles me and it baffles me. So when did that start? Because yeah, that, that's what I think. We were talking about this just before we started the show, which is I, I think what you've been doing is the perfect thing for this very bizarre time where the, yeah. the proximity to parody that sense that this is some kind of, you know, elaborate Chris Morris joke that's been going on now for a decade. <laughs> it's But your thing works, but you must find that sometimes very difficult, that bit of going, but this speech is, is this already so insane? 
Is there a point what? sometimes where certain speeches and certain interviews, it becomes quite difficult due to the, the level of preposterousness? Yes. And the interesting thing about that is that I, that point came at the very first month. So on my Twitter feed, this, this, this uh, soundbite about the buses was, was just flowing down. It was just constant, constant. And, um, and, I, and then I got the idea and I, and I wrote it in my lunch hour. And then as I was driving home, I just thought, this is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's low hanging fruit. What, 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 would I, what would I bring to this that would kind of make it more absurd? It is absurd on its own. And the thing that changed my mind was the fact that I just had a bit of time in the evening. <laughs> I had a bit of time and I thought... <laughs> no, listen, I've got nothing I thought, else on. I've, I've done the dishes. My children are asleep. I've got an hour. I'll just put some box files up on, on my coffee table and, and do it. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it was always there at the, at the beginning, that kind of nagging doubt that, 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 that satire... <laughs> had been um if not killed but very badly injured by by boris johnson and, and donald trump but what i'm doing is, is is reacting to what they're saying yeah. that's 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 the difference rather than parodying in a spit image way yes i think that's exactly it to me because you're not having to write a speech that is equally as you're literally getting to be it's sort of showing them as ridiculous ridiculous and i think it's so important to like put them into a ridiculous sphere but also put you into that ridiculous sphere like i think it's it does something really yeah sad and important and funny yeah i, I when when these you know sound bites are put out and by the news agencies they still have to be impartial so they'll just kind of put the video out on their social media feeds and say well this is what he said today leave it at that right i'll just leave it at that <laughs> and kind of everyone else has to muscle in and, and say well this is ridiculous isn't it and and i guess there just wasn't anyone around at that time who was highlighting it in the way that i was because i think you know i essentially i am just a man sat on a sofa yelling at the television screen which is what so many other people were doing at the same time and I guess that is the reason why it chimed with so many people but I didn't know that when I did it I hadn't a clue <laughs> it was all very accidental but I think that's why because it is as you said the the what you play apoplectic very well uh and that's that's one of the things that you have to and you know I, I can see it not being as good done by other people and that's the that bit of <laughs> And I think, as you just said, it's that sense that many people have of, I don't, I, I literally don't understand. And that's what we've yeah. reached a point in politics, firstly, because we have so much politics that we, we because of, of the way social media is, because of the way that you can, you know, watch the House of Commons, rolling et cetera, news. and rolling news. Mm. Yeah, you, you, mm. you are going, I just, before we could be a little bit apoplectic at the news at 10 and then there will be a repeat yes. of the professionals or whatever. Now there's yeah. more. And now there's question time and there's Pretty Patel again. And there's, So it is a point where it feels like the only reaction is just to be, as you said, to be screaming, going, I don't know what... I, I, all control seems to have been lost. Yes. I, I, you know, I mean, just, just mentioning the news at 10, it makes me feel like 
fuzzy. <laughs> that that kind of warm glow. I know, it's so old school. <laughs> of, of only having the news at certain points in your life during the day. Sometimes not at all. Um, yeah. Uh, so yes, I think I think I think you're right. I think that that you know it, it's 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 unhealthy, I guess, for a human being to just constantly be consuming news and 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 whatever's coming out of their Twitter feed. You know, people. You know, of course, that's there. There are always those moments where you, if you're on Twitter, you go, I can't. I literally can't deal with any of this today. Not a single thing. I need mm-hmm. 24 hours without it. You know, like for instance. My wife's not on Twitter, and the other day, I was I was talking. Oh, I'd ha- I hate to even bring up his name, but I was talking about Lawrence Fox with my agent, and and we were talking about how it is just basically this kind of Twitter universe that is is talking about him, lifting him up, mm-hmm. putting him up on that pedestal, clicking on his links, reading his articles. And I turned to my wife and I said, do you know who Lawrence Fox is? And he said, she said, no, <laughs> I don't know who she is. To live that uh, life. And I thought, th- there she, she's right there. That, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, God, there's so many. Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle tattle that dropped out of our mouth. Oh, no, I was just going to say, but the right, I think, for the time being, certainly in, in the US and in the UK, are saying utterly preposterous. They, they have increasingly detached themselves yeah. from evidence-based thinking. So, yeah. so you see, and they're yeah, well, you see an ideology which is very much that the, the audience that they're playing to is one that is rejecting intelligence. And I don't, I don't mean that in a facetious oh. way. I mean literally going, how can you say that? How can you reach that conclusion? Oh, by ignoring everything that has been uh, found out through research, through the scientific method, through all those other things. So undoubtedly there's going to be more fodder there because it is a very Fox News. It is a very, what's his name, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, that that mm. used to be that that horrible thing of watching Bill O'Reilly, and then eventually you couldn't watch it anymore because you knew it wasn't just preposterous; it was something being watched by millions of people. Yes, I think um, the, the, the that kind of propaganda it, it won't go because Trump's gone. Uh, I mean, there's, I've got a horrible, snagging feeling that it, it's just lying in wait and and, and will come back again because I think it's been established now. That that kind of thinking. I don't know. I don't know if you can just eradicate it with four years of Joe Biden. I, I think that you know. It, I don't know whether it will get worse, but I think there's a possibility that. Um, I mean, we've got you know. I, again, I hate mentioning things that I've got no interest in, or, <laughs> or, or or don't want to give them the oxygen of publicity, or as Linda Smith said, the oxygen of oxygen. <laughs> but. GB News, you know, this is this is a slippery slope we're going down here, and I don't see it being reversed. I feel like it's a real cliff. I don't feel like it's a slope. Mm. I feel like it's just a big jump into the deep end. And and I think it, yeah, it is frightening. It is, but I feel like the last five years have been that. You know, it's been the right wing press getting away with whatever they want, and yeah. it not being, you know, they're not being a real way to escape it so I feel really glad and grateful when people do kind of mock it 
Um, I uh, also I was going to say just that 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 idea that satire or whatever you want to call it or current affair political comedy is meant to change a lot of what it's about is I think it's about making people just go where I feel desperate. And then I saw, yeah, and now I'm there's not lots and, and, you know, when you watch, yes. you know, including, you know, the great one, Jeremy Hardy and all those. Part of the mm. joy of it was not that you go, and it was really amazing because Jeremy played Salisbury and then that seat went to someone. It was the fact that everyone went, oh, good. It's, I, I remember playing, where was it, Burnley. Um, the, the I forget what that venue's called, the Burnley Mechanics. And, you know, Burnley is quite a tough town with quite a lot of, mm. you know, the, certainly at the time I was playing there and, a, you know, far right stuff. Going, and the, however mm. many people were in that room, the conversations afterwards, it was just that bit of going, oh, good, you live around here as well because I feel alone and I feel, you know. Right. And I okay. think that plays, that, that's a really important thing, which is if you suppress all of those things, then everyone ends up just feeling alone. And, and that bit where people can watch going, I'm apoplectic about that too. And in the mm. town I live in, I think I'm it's the like only a- one. <laughs> yeah. it's like alone in berlin isn't it i think of that book all the time about and he says everyone is struggling and, and in the book you know nobody knows that other people feel dissenting towards the government because nobody can communicate that without fear of imprisonment and like oh. yeah i think also the industry that this added story that's playing in all of our lives of the of, of the pandemic and the the lockdown making people feel even more detached than they were before. I mean, I get, I do get, you know, people tweeting to say, you got me through it. Not necessarily just me, but you know what I mean? The sort of batch of comedians that were making stuff online at home. Um, that's so Which nice. is great. Yeah, really good. That's, that's, that's the bit that's of comedy funny. that gets very often when you have these people who all of these very often f- false culture war conversations about. Comedy has always been about hate and saying really often, you go, <laughs> no, no, some of it's about people actually genuinely feeling happier about their life at the end. Some of, some of it yeah. is a real, some of it is yeah. actually about hope. And it is, no, all the best comedy ever was, everyone, everyone was really yeah, angry afterwards. No one was happy and everyone hated each other and they burnt down their neighbour's <laughs> house. Explain like Morecambe and Wise and Ken Dodd. Do you know what I mean? Wise like, hated could not Des make that O'Connor. argument. They destroyed yeah. Andre Brevin. <laughs> also, if you, did you say you seen Laurel and Hardy attack that guy's house with the Christmas yeah. trees? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Unbelievable. Listen, they're pushing boundaries. You're pushing boundaries. Yeah. Sorry, you're offended. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the train was offended by Buster <laughs> Keaton, but he just wanted to fuck about on it. Um, yes, that's God. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it's so like that's where I feel very glad to be a comedian as opposed to like a straight political commentator because you're never ever going to be in a position where you're just doing something daft to help yeah make the day go quicker. yeah I, it's, it's funny actually when i when i see um uh videos of um the current uh leader of the labor party uh talking about you know like <laughs> Uh, I love that you're like, who I shall not name. (laughs) Well, that says a lot. He named Lawrence Fox, but he won't name the other. (laughs) Yes, that's true, isn't it? I also named Laurel and Hardy, so I like to think. Oh, you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) Yeah, sure. He just seems so uh, uh, unengaging. 
Oh, he's a charisma vacuum. Like, I'm sorry to anyone that loves him, although I don't know a single soul that does. But I find him a charisma vacuum. I find him sort of... Yeah, I just... (laughs) At least throw a joke in there or something. Show that you're a human being. It's such a a huge problem with politicians. It always has been, really. And then the worst thing is, like, when you get people like Ed Miliband who stop being a politician and then suddenly become human and telling jokes and being emotional. And you go, oh... Yeah. I would have really have loved if you'd have kind of done that earlier. But I think that's why people fall for people like Trump, or why some people do, because they're like, well, this guy, he, at the very least you can say, he's not a regular politician. Yes. And it's like, yeah, he's unhinged. Yes, yes but he's talking about McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that, that, okay. that is, I mean, that is part of uh, the reason why he did so well. But that, you know, I... I, I just don't understand uh, how, you know, politicians coming along now can feel that they're, they're talking to, you know, people like you and me. Are, are they communi- are, They're just not communicating. Um, so, you know, I, 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 find that, I find that a major issue. I feel like that there need to be passionate and 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 clear speaking human beings because the weird thing is is that you can ask a politician anything and they will just say exactly the same thing they will just say whatever's been written for them they will construct a sentence that has no full stop just wanders around brings up stats that nobody is interested in if i if there was just a human being on that platform that would come along. I, I would just, I would, I would jump for joy. But the fact is that there isn't anyone like that. And I, as a comedian, can just lampoon this because it's, it's just no, it's not a world that any of us inhabit. But has that? Ch- I was wondering whether there's certain people that because you've ended up spending time watching them and time and and you have this this interaction that you've created has that actually changed any of your sense of of who any of them are or are they also this strange manufactured thing that you you don't that's interesting because i uh i've as i said i've done matt hancock four times but when we when the general election was going on he was doing these weird videos where he would say, um, it's, uh, it's uh, seven o'clock in the morning and I'm in Basildon. It's great to be here. I've got my coffee with me. I'm ready to go. I've got this thing coming up. I've got that thing coming up. Let's go. And it would always be, <laughs> it would always be really insincere. He's got, as I say, he's got, he's, got a, he's got a real sort of serial killer vibe when he looks right down the lens, like he's looking through your soul. So... Again, on my lunch break, because my lunch breaks were spent doing things like this when I had a real job, I got in my car and I just, you know, did, did a, a, the same sort of thing. You know, hello, I've got my coffee with me. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm meeting uh, some uh, doctors today and I'm going to tell them we're, we're raising 50%, so that's good. Um, um, you know, so just, you know, but no, no um, substance at all. And um, and it did really well, and then lo and behold, Matt Hancock starts following me. Okay, so that's when they think they can be in on the joke. That is the thing. If if 
I'm sure that Matt Hancock phoned Spitting Image and said, can I have my puppet? You know, I think he's just one of those, like he's got a cart, the worst cartoons, the worst um, political cartoons. Mm. He's probably got framed in his study. He's just happy to be included, isn't he? Exactly that. And I, I, I think there's a, a, there's a certain element of, um, it's just a laugh. It's just a game. Because he, when, we, when, we was, uh, when he was uh, going all over the UK during the election, and I've mentioned this before, he's, he was standing on the docks somewhere and looking out with his lapels up. He was, had a big coat on with his lapels up, looking out like that. And, and, it just, and he's, he tweeted that picture of himself and it just said, contemplating the union. Contemplating the... And straight away, people kind of turned it into Smith's album covers and stuff like that, turning it into a meme. And I think that's what he wanted. That is exactly what he wanted. He wanted to constantly be talked about to to be to be to be a meme. And I just thought, you're literally in charge of the NHS. Can you take this seriously? Yeah. Um, you need so to do that Martin Rousey thing, don't you? Where, you know, Martin's cartoons where you can't imagine there's many MPs going, I wonder if I could buy that cartoon where you draw me as a leprous <laughs> cock covered in dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <there's> a kind <laughs> of... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, that that reminded me, there's a guy who makes videos as a Tory MP called Michael Lavash. Have you seen it? What's his I name? Think. Rob, I think. I can't remember his surname. I'm so frustrated. But you, you should check him out. He's very, very fun, and 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 the the character he plays reminds me a bit of Matt Hancock. He's just, he's just a desperate guy who keeps ruining everything and keeps fucking up and yeah. getting in trouble. Yeah, he. And he's uh, really the, great. the weird thing about Matt Hancock is that he seems when he goes on the news seems terribly unprepared, and yet at the same time, kind of corrupt enough to have these NHS contracts. Mm-hmm. There's this. It's like a weird. It's like it's but almost like it's inbuilt. Like he's been born with yes. something in his DNA to be corrupt, and yet also his usual clumsy self. <laughs> well, I think it's about what matters to them as well. Like yeah. to me, what matters to these people is the grift. It's making as much money for themselves and yeah. their friends, and protecting the interests of the wealthy. What does not matter to them really is the general public or anything to do with them. So no. it's like shows their priorities. Yeah. It, it, you know, it doesn't doesn't make any sense when he's uh, trying to show uh, compassion or you know uh, clapping for the care. It just seems so false when he does it. It's it's like he 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 didn't go to the acting lessons that day. But he has something, doesn't he? Which is, you can't imagine that he has, as you were saying, that kind of level of of, of guile because he looks like oh. Oh, poor old Matt. I mean, oh, dear. Yeah. He's, he's been elevated above the position he should have had. Yes. And, just, and that in itself, you it's that that's the confusing thing, I think, as, as, as both of you mentioned before, which is very often we imagine there's an insidious plan. And I remember Naomi Klein writing about this in, in The Shock Doctrine, saying um, one of the things is that we imagine there's this Illuminati that have planned wars, etc. But more often than not, it's just things go wrong and then they're the ones who go, oh, brilliant, we can feast on this. But it's nothing mm. about, it's, it's not about a carefully honed plan. It's just the mm. moment something collapses, they're the first ones to go, oh, yeah, I'll grab that. Because that, that morality, which is replaced instead by monetization, is the first thing that occurs to them. 
Yeah, and yet the the, the hoaxers and the anti-vaxxers thinks, think it's, it's a much more well-structured plan of attack, you know. And, and, it, and it isn't. It's, uh, as you say, it's, it's just a chaotic feasting on the carcass. I love that it's, it's Fintan O'Toole. I don't know if you ever read any of his stuff. He's a really great writer. He wrote a fantastic book called Heroic Failure, which is all about uh, um, Brexit and the UK and the UK's attitude mm. to itself and how it believes it. And he, I, I think he came up with the word sadopopulism to describe both the US <laughs> and, and the UK at that particular time. And I think sadopopulism seems to really have... It seems to attach itself to exactly what we've been watching with COVID as well, which is you know, people say, mm. everything must be opened up now. We've had enough and don't wear your mask. Well, well hang on. No, no, you've got to work out. It's like, you know, when, when uh, what's his name? Mark Dolan was, was on his radio programme and he cut up oh, a no. mask because he said oh, he was so, so embarrassing. He because there are people who aren't getting their cancer treatment. And you go, well, it's a terrible thing. That's right. But you cutting up the mask is exactly the opposite gesture of what is required yeah. if we want a, a, a more fully functioning NHS in this scenario. Yeah, but again, that, that goes back to what we were saying about this kind of, this being a showman for, for the right-wing news. I mean, really, cutting up, I, 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 was, so, I was embarrassed for him. Yeah, well, and also there's no joy in that life, oh God. you know. You never, you'd never get to do a show where you're like, and today's episode of GB News, the hard talk is just about all the different flowers I love. Yeah. Here's a date, you know. You never get to do something sweet or lighthearted yeah. in your life. Well, I, I mean, just the outrage. Uh, cycle. Because, yeah, because that, that that's what attracts people. That's what gets people phoning up or frothy mouthed, going, "This is my agenda." This is my argument, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to listen to that every single day, fair enough, go ahead. But please, please don't let it spill over into my world because um, it's just so unhealthy. Well, we must ask about because otherwise Canongate will be furious yep, um, about the, your book, The Secret Political Advisor, yes. which is mm. must have been, I mean, in terms of how you, I wanted to know the difference between your writing style or if you found a difference that bit of going right so now i'm reacting off this and this which yeah. is you're creating a full world which kind of starts at the the the, the, the end of cameron and then takes us yeah. through lots of different bits of of uh of of, of that narrative as, as you try and advise these different people and dominic cummings yeah. etc how how hard was that when you go right this is or were you very often just watching lots of speeches at the time and go, right, I know the, the audience aren't going to see this, but I think I can still feed off this in, in, in a similar way? Um, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I, because I must admit, I didn't, really, I didn't really see my character being a book. And when Canongate said, would you like to do it? That's when my mind started racing. And then I thought about what the organisation is that he works for. Um, that they would be just an apolitical, um, you know, just a kind of organisation providing advice and guidance and making sure they don't look stupid in front of camera. Um, and then and then it becomes, a, then the, the organisation is sort of maybe larger than that and starts dictating the agenda. Um, so I had fun with kind of working out who he is, really. I mean, I, I, I still don't even know his name. Um because he was just this 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 sketch character, this this 
you know, uh, uh, two minute 20 video on Twitter occasionally. Um, but when I started mapping it out, I realized that if I went back to when Cameron left, then that would be a good launching pad. Um, because then I could encompass Theresa May's disastrous time and and then and then Brexit and then Trump. So I thought the most interesting thing, and I suppose I was also thinking about uh, the thick of its comedy book at that time, um, which is uh, 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 made out to look like a uh, a dossier, a, a, a misplaced dossier. It's got like a stamp, lost property of Euston Station on the front. So I thought, if we just infiltrate this man's world and get into his texts and his emails and read his memos and stuff like that, his WhatsApp, then you could sort of piece together what his life is like and 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 you know just basically the the, the four years that I cover it is it, just the four years when virtually everything fell apart and and you know um that that moment I mean in one of the one of the sketches where Boris Johnson holds up the kipper I do take my headphones off <laughs> and say am I in a dream or something why are people clapping a dead why are people clapping food poisoning what on earth is going on and so it is trying to capture that moment, that that him at the centre of that storm. And how did it feel to really broaden out your own sort of personal fictional universe? Well, great, Jos- Josie, because uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've I've written stories and and written scripts and all sorts of things since I was seventeen. You know, I was mm. I was, you know, I had I had a job up until two thousand and. 19. Um, so all the time I was in regular work, nine to five work, I was doing, you know, uh, scripts and sketches on the side. So getting the chance to flesh out anything to expand any universe was just, oh, it was just uh, just an amazing thing to just be able to quit my job and go, right, this is it now, this is it full time, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write characters and I'm going to get paid for it. Amazing. Um, so yeah, you know, when I was 17 I was sending scripts off to the BBC and anxiously waiting <laughs> I actually went to a, a, a an open writer's room for week ending and, oh, uh, and I, I was that. yeah I was uh, I was very shy so I took my sister and um, and the place was just full of really unhappy men <laughs> Welcome to comedy. <laughs> yeah, it was. But I was like, I was seventeen, and I thought, oh, okay. I thought it would be a bit more glitzy, but maybe not. Um, That's how I felt when I started gigging. I was like, wow, everyone here's like thirty and <laughs> talking about Star Wars in a sad way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the thing about weekending is that they they said, right, well, this week. Um, Margaret Thatcher's gone to a summit, so we want some stuff on that, please. And everybody's like got their notepads. It's like, yeah. And um, and I kind of went away with, with my sister, and I said, "Yeah, I don't really think topical comedy is for me." 
Um, but uh, and your sister became script editor of Weekend, of course, for the next five years. It's very successful. Um, but it was, <laughs> that's interesting because I only ever went to one meeting as well, which had been a few years before you. Because um, I thought I almost thought it wasn't going by the time you. Uh, but and it was. It was such an interesting. I went once, and I remember Sinead O'Connor had done something, and it wasn't the, the time that she tore up the picture of the Pope, but it was something similar. And the advice was to come up with jokes that were kind of having a go at Sinead O'Connor. And I remember just thinking, I think the Catholic Church is much... B-. You know you know that moment where you go... Right. In, in, yeah, yeah. in the same way as you know, having worked on the 11 o'clock show, where you go, I'm really not sure whether you know yeah. Liverpool itself is the mainly problematic thing that's going on with society now. I think actually right, there might yeah. be some... Po- yeah. and, it's, and that's an interesting thing, isn't it, with a lot of sometimes the more mainstream satire, certainly... Uh, uh, if you want to call it satire, current affairs, comedy, or whatever, you go, that's the wrong person to be attacking. Or I always found it very uneasy. Yeah. This is it, yeah. sympathising with power. But I don't understand uh, the, the, the the notion of being balanced if one half is... is um, uh, Insane I literally have been trying negative. to write stand up about this where it's like, and uh, now we're going to have this expert talking about the uh, talking about the events uh, and their consequences. And now for balance, here's some cunt who's completely wrong. Great. It's like, <laughs> what? Who, who does Hang that on, have? Josie, that's my joke. I <laughs> no. should do that on Monkey Cage. Did you? You've just ripped me off. I knew you'd always been ripping me off. Oh, you should. I've also no, to be honest, mine wasn't as edgy as yours. <laughs> mine, mine was merely, and now someone who's wrong. Whereas I think you've really <laughs> taken I, it up to a Lenny Bruce level now. Do you know what I think as well? I think it's the refusal to be honest about when people are immoral. It's like no one wants to ever pretend that they might have a moral position. They they want to be like no no come on we're debating the issues and it's like yes but in some instances their position is immoral or cruel and it's mm. it should be like I don't want to sound like uh, a heavy-handed you know a bishop or something but like you know somebody should be pointing out that things are also there is and balance cruel. and yeah. it's not you that has to do it it's mm. the spectator that's doing the balance yeah. and it's all of those other things it's rod liddle's next column it's uh, and that's always the bit that seems to be the problem which is you go no no no. if, if you can then show me and going oh no i mean the good thing about the spectator is halfway through rod liddle's column he then writes it in totally the opposite way where that's not what happens and that's not what happens with all of those people yes that's so but for True. some reason, and and so balance is a much bigger thing than an individual show or a single comedy character. Mm. It's the whole society that you're in. Mm. I think I think balance is overrated. I I, I think we should prioritise lopsidedness. Well, also, like I I would rather be able to listen to somebody who has a viewpoint, knowing they have a viewpoint, and then think about it. <laughs> you know, it's, yes, it's so much better. I mean, it, it, it does go back to Spitting Image again. I don't want to criticise Spitting Image because I didn't watch it. But, um, <laughs> that's not going to stop me. Consi- <laughs> no, no, that's fine. When you consider everything that was going on, say, uh, like a year ago with, with uh, Trump being impeached, um, corruption upon corruption in, in this country, mm. um, with, with, the, with the Leave campaign yep. And, yep. and, you know, all the stuff that still hasn't been properly pulled apart. Spitting Image decided to do a four-minute bit about Greta Thunberg, and it and it felt like it it was like they had to do mm-hmm. it, and I I find all of that so tedious. 
I really do. Well, again, people saying, oh, if you're attacking the Tories, you should be attacking Labour. And I just feel like when Labour in, are in power and making the laws, then, mm. you know, and that was why, you know, so much of the press fixation on, well, I've even, you know, we've seen it with the pandemic, holding Jeremy Corbyn to account over the pandemic. It's like, guys, he is not the one who was making the laws. If you would like to focus mm. on the people who are doing the things that materially affect us right now, it would be much more useful. Who did you, because we're nearly at the end now, and I wanted just to ask okay. about when you were saying when you were seventeen, you've obviously been, you mm. know, like all three of us, you know, a comedy fan from a very early age. Yeah. And I was, you know, when I was a reading big book, nerd. I, yeah, a big nerd. Huge. Yeah, uh, oh, I presume nerd. you probably huge have nerd. eczema and you wear bad woolens. Welcome to our world. Oh, Robin, uh, I do. The, How did you know that? Do you know what it is? Uh, it's one of the great <laughs> things, isn't it? Which is so there are some people who they get to the age of twenty-five and they go, "Still, my skin accepts my body, and therefore I can never be a writer." Whereas you know there are those who go, "I'm now moving towards the Dennis Potter part of my life." I was going to say the Dennis Potter head. route. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at this point now, well, we merely uh, mind to a song from nineteen thirty. About the teddy bears, <laughs> well, the only the annoying thing is, is, is it's cleared up. Oh, I have to admit, I did like feel your works got weaker. Ironically, yes, yes. my works got weaker. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, I was, you know, reading your book, I've thought of uh, you mentioned uh, thick of it, and then obviously there's things like yeah. you know, the time waster letters and and Henry Rue, which I think to me still play into that kind of narrative of the way that uh, and and also the the Bastard file, the Alan Bastard uh, <laughs> oh. file. So what were the but when you were a kid and those kind of things, that excitement of the of 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 the new book that was available? What what are the comedy books that you loved? Oh uh, well, I, I think. The thing is, when I was when I was growing up, so I was like a child of the eighties. So I guess um, television still completely dominated my outlook, um, and I I don't remember holding any particular book close. Like I never read a book over and over again. But um, um, the BBC repeated. Uh, oh, this is dreadfully predictable, isn't it? But they 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 repeated um, Monty Python in 1987 when I was 10, and my children, my my parents uh, let me stay up because it was on Saturday nights after Match of the Day, so I, was, I stayed up to like 11 o'clock at night to watch it because um, they knew how much I I loved it. And then we got the big red book, the Monty Python big red book, um, which, you know, I, I replicated in sketch pads. Essentially, I had this, uh, I had this notion that I would uh, become a comedian and, and reunite them, and we'd do <laughs> do a do a. I know it's terrible, isn't it? Um, but I was no, ten. Oh, it's very I was sweet. 10. So. Um, so I, I would write my uh, I used to chapters do, um, and stuff like that. Yeah. I used to do Red Dwarf cartoons where I would join the cast of Red Dwarf at oh. that age. So I feel like it's very normal. That's be- that's beautiful. <laughs> and and I think the series as well. My, my dad used to videotape the series and would let us watch it on video. Like when I woke up at six in the morning and couldn't sleep, yeah. I would get to watch Monty Python video. And I, I feel really grateful that they did repeat it yeah. because if they hadn't, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have fallen in love with well, it. Well, the the people, the comedians I rem, the, before me who d- didn't 
have like VHS, for instance, who had to rely on Monty Python's comedy albums, for instance. Mm. That was the only thing they had. I remember Steve Martin saying he thought that they were a, a, a band because he only knew about the albums. He thought they were some kind of comedy band, like the Bonzo Dog Duda band. He didn't realise until later on that they had this series. Um, but I was lucky enough to, to, yeah, to have a little Ferguson video star that I could record everything on and, and watch endlessly. Um, but yes, the comedy tie-in books I, I, I loved and... Um, Whenever there was a comedy show, I would I would I would seek out the tie-in book basically. Oh, I love that's that's what I was really. Don't think I was I was going. I hope he says something Victorian. I really was thinking. Yeah, I remember the utterly utterly comic relief book with all its stuff in it. And and it's interesting mm. when you mention albums as well because that to me was such an important thing. Listening to the mm. matching tie and handkerchief set, uh, yeah. the the Holy Grail. Mm. You know, I actually used in my A level when I was writing about King Lear. The reason I remembered tis this the king. I <laughs> every inch a king when I who stare see how my subject quake. I pardon that. <laughs> all of that comes from the fact they play that in the middle of I think the Holy Grail <laughs> album and and there is that's one of those be- it's, it's an odd thing isn't it because sometimes we do talk about the fact that culture has changed because those surreptitious things those things that were hard to find but I think still the internet probably plays even though we might go it's not the same kids I think probably their excitement that they have of finding people doing things like the stuff you do and a lot of the other stuff that we mm-hmm. love or, or yeah. suddenly seeing like too many cooks which I'm sure you've seen too many cooks Oh god, yeah. Oh, Which I is a that. masterpiece. It's one of those bits where I, it's just that it's properly art house. <laughs> it, it, if you if you <laughs> played that on a big screen at the Tate Modern, it would it would win the Turner Prize. It's an amazing masterpiece. <laughs> That's what's so interesting. I, love, I actually did put it on the big screen when I first saw it. I was doing a gig down in um, uh, was it Lewisham? I can't remember. I was playing a, uh, a library theatre on a library theatre at Canada Water, and I showed it to my mate Grace Petrie. And I went, uh, "Before we go on, I'm just going to say, hey everyone, uh, before we start the show, it's only ten to eight. I'm just going to show you a thing that's brilliant." There should be more of that. I, I remember when YouTube first came out, we would have like YouTube parties where we'd be like, "Have you seen this one?" And now I feel like that doesn't really happen. Yeah. They've got over 20 things on YouTube. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there was, uh, I think, I think the big, the, the YouTube started as just like, YouTube was, you've been framed. Yeah. First. It was just, you've been framed. It was people falling over and, you it, know, it was people being like, we better put that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Put it on YouTube because uh, Jeremy Beadle is dead now. <laughs> so YouTube is all we've got. Um, but then suddenly overnight it became, the Everything in the World website. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when that happened, probably about 2008 or something like that. That's like Amazon, though. Yes, true enough. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not actually as good a point as I thought. I was like, wow, I've cracked <laughs> that, it. I've cracked the world. That was great, because I actually saw it in your face. You said it, and then you went, oh, I don't know if we should end on that. Yeah, that wasn't um, <laughs> useful. It wasn't yeah. useful, it wasn't useful. Um, Michael, thank you so much for, yeah. for joining us. And uh, um, The Secret Political... Is it out now, The Secret Political Advisor? Yeah, yeah. Can I ask about... Do you think about the future of this character? Like, do you have plans for them going into particular places? Yeah, I've I've been working on something for a long time, which is just, again... Expanding his universe and um, looking at the 
the possibility of, of, of fleshing him out. I mean, there are people, uh, there are commissioners, in fact, who have said, um, yes, I'm, I just, I don't, I don't see the longevity in it. You know, oh. it's good for what it is, but I don't see it. But that's making me want to go, well, let me just prove that I am a storyteller rather than a, uh, an online yeah. comedian. Let me prove that well, I'm like... capable of, of, of doing something with him. So I'd, I would really like to bring him to the small screen or the big screen, for sure. That's really cool. And, like, the longevity of it is... It's not like next year everything will be normal and good, you know? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, I, I don't want to keep telling... As I say, like with Matt Hancock, I don't want to keep telling the same joke because that's what he is. He is the same joke, isn't he? So, you know, it, it's just about doing things slightly differently. Like, um, I, I scored highly with um, nerds like you and me when I... Uh, created this parallel universe room next door that he finds where he finds an evil version of himself <laughs> via a portal in his attic things like that i i really enjoy i really enjoy doing because it, it just plays around with the form a little bit more yeah. well the uh everyone go and get sick political advisor it's very uh entertaining and it is cathartic as well because it does uh uh, as Michael said, it covers those four years which are either leading to a steeper slope or a cliff, depending whether you're optimistic, like Michael, who's just seeing a nice steep slope fun on a toboggan, or whether a lemming like Josie Long, who sees this terrifying... A cliff is an optimistic thing. Have you never done co-steering? Oh, OK, fair enough. That, that, I think, I hope is a T-shirt. A cliff is an optimistic thing. Now, though, you've put in my mind the fact that Cliff Richard appeared in a musical based around Wuthering Heights called Heathcliff. And I can... Oh, oh God. God. I wish I hadn't... I don't I know how you put that in my head. I think a couple of nights. Oh. Now, nights there's someone whose career is inexplicable to me. I guess if I'd been around in the 50s, it would yeah, be fine. you missed fine, the first but... 70 years. That was the trouble of his career. So that might have been one of the issues. Um, thank you very much to Curtin as well. And I'm sure they've got more things coming up with the More Than Words Festival as well. And uh, have... Uh, uh, oh, it's got very dark now, hasn't it? I've got darker and darker. Yeah, I'm you... the one who it turned out yeah. with. I do apologise, but I don't know how the lights turn on in this hotel room. You know, one of those ones well, where you just... just remembered the very... <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everyone. Um, thanks thank so you. much. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for coming, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, you can hear an extended edition of this episode by subscribing at patreon.com slash bookshambles. Michael's book, The Secret Political Advisor, is out now through Canongate. Get yourself a copy of that. Back next week with another new episode. Have a great week, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.